Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning, everyone, and uh, as has already been said to you as well, Happy Happy New Year. Um, the, uh, I will start off our message today with the profound implications of what this means as we enter into Advent in this new year. It means that for all of you who have been longing for this year to be over, congratulations, you have made it to the new year before anyone else has. So welcome to Advent uh, and, the, and the new year. Now, we, we've had a lot of discussion already about the entering into a new calendar year um, uh, with the church. Uh, we've lit candles, we've changed colors, these sort of things. And so now if you're new to the, to the liturgical church, this kind of church where we are sacramentally focused and word focused and we say things back and forth together in what we call the liturgy, the concept of a church calendar may be new to you as well. So before we jump into Psalm 80, which is where we're going to get in just a second, let me take just a minute to explain the, the church calendar. Okay, we, we all order our lives around a calendar. Throughout most of history, it has been the rhythm of planting and harvesting. Um, and most of the time now, it's around the school calendar. We order our lives and schedules around when school is in and out. Um, in business, you may have a fiscal year that, uh, that orders your finances and determines when you can and can't buy certain things or pay certain things. Or maybe you're a hunter and you're waiting to shoot deer and ducks and Sasquatch and whatever other kind of seasons there are out there that you're waiting for and preparing for. And so these seasons dictate what we focus on and what activities we prioritize during that time. And our desire as the church is to, is to live our lives centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we are living our lives of devotion, not just individually, but corporately, together, as, uh, as his people. And so the church calendar is an ancient practice in the church that allows us to share a common rhythm of life. Um, and this life together um, is, is shared in, by sharing the same rhythm. Um, and this rhythm is an experience of the gospel of Jesus. Let me show you. If we can, we can put up the slide, the picture that we have of the liturgical calendar. So let me, I'm going to go really briefly through what the, um, what, the, what the seasons of the church year are. It starts right now with Advent, and Advent is a season of expectation and preparation. It's sort of a mini Lent in, in preparing for Christmas, okay? So then we get into Christmas, and that's the feast of the incarnation when God became one of us. Just as a side note, Christmas does not end on December 25th. Christmas begins on December 25th. That's right. You leave your lights up until Epiphany, which is January uh, January 6th, I believe it is this year. Okay? Um, and so don't take your tree down on Christmas Day. Um, you're working off the wrong calendar. That's a different calendar. Christmas belongs to the church. Anyway, I'll stop. Um, so, so Christmas, um, so we, we, we work from Advent of the expectation of the coming of Christ. And then we have Christmas where we remember the, the coming of Christ the first time. Um, 
And then we move from there into epiphany, which is a, uh, a revelation of who Jesus is. Um, and we look at things like the coming of the wise men. Um, and we move from epiphany into Lent, which is preparation for Good Friday and for Easter. You can see on our little chart here that there's, there's different colors that set apart each one of these, of these seasons. Advent that we're in now is either purple or blue because it's a penitential season. Christmas is white for the glory of Christ. Epiphany is, um, is the season of Epiphany is green as it's a matter of growth and revelation of who Jesus is. Lent is this preparation for Good Friday and Easter. And so it's, it's purple as it's a time of deep thought and repentance. Um, we move then into Holy Week, where we work through the, the events of the life of Christ around his crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection on Easter. And we celebrate the Easter season together. And then after Easter, we go to Pentecost, which is the giving of the Holy Spirit. And then after that, we enter into the big green section on that, uh, on that picture, which is, uh, which is called the season after Pentecost or ordinary time. It, not because it's it's not special. That's not why we call it ordinary time. Uh, it's or, Think of ordered um, or in line. It's not connected to one of the major feasts, but it's still an important time in the church. So sometimes when you look at this chart, um, sometimes people divide it into two sections. The first being the, the life and the story of Jesus as we work through um, Advent all the way through Easter and then through Pentecost, sorry. Um, and then the second part of of the calendar is the story of the people of God as we look at the work of the church and our growth and our life in him. And so what you can see that I know that that's a lot of information real quick, but I just want you to see an overall vision of what this rhythm, this intentional rhythm of life is together as we celebrate this calendar and everything that we do is centered around the life and work of Jesus. Both the part of life and the difficult parts of his life. This, this church calendar, um, it, it's discipleship because it prepares us for all aspects of life. Just as Jesus' life is so do our lives have joyous parts and difficult parts. And our, and our faith does not simply work when we're happy, nor does it only matter when we're struggling. There's both joy and pain in the life of Jesus and our lives as well. And we learn how to work through that together as a community through the church calendar. Church calendar also holds us accountable to look at all the angles of the gospel, not just our favorite ones. Not just Easter when we can remember the resurrection, which is, of course, the central part of our faith. But we have to look at the, the entirety of the gospel. Yes, we're a people of grace, but we also need to reflect on our sin even if that's not comfortable. Yes, our victory is assured, but we still have work to do. The calendar forces us to consider each of these things in particular. Um, and, and there are overall themes of this with the idea of celebration in Christmas and Easter and preparation for that celebration in Advent and Lent. Now, we like to celebrate. We don't like to prepare or to wait in expectation for that celebration to come. For example, how many of you already have your Christmas tree up? Right? We don't want to wait. We want it now. 
Um, we, don't want, we don't want that time in between. Even when you were a little kid and you knew Christmas was coming and there were going to be presents, you didn't like waiting. And I used to try to convince my mom for days ahead of time that maybe we should just open one present at a time leading up to Christmas so it wouldn't take so long that morning because I didn't want to wait. But there's importance in the waiting and the preparation We want things now because we don't want to long. We don't want to suffer in our waiting. We live in a time of instant gratification and constant stimulation. But waiting and preparing and longing makes the thing upon which we wait that much greater when we are finally able to participate in it. If it's worth having, it's worth waiting for. Now, after all that context, okay, let, let, me, let me move away from, uh, from the circle calendar on the screen, and we're going to look into Advent specifically. This is where we are today. This is the season of preparation for Christmas where we examine the themes of expectation and preparation. And so in our Sunday lectionary readings um, and in your daily office, if you work through that, when you're reading through the scripture, we go back into the Old Testament and hear the longing of the Jewish nation for the Messiah to come. We also hear of the coming of the Holy Spirit to Mary and what is going to take place. We listen to the words of John the Baptist preparing the way for the coming Savior and all of that that happened in the past as we hear about the preparation for the coming of Jesus the first time. We also read passages from Revelation at the end of the Bible as we're looking forward to the coming of Jesus the second time when he returns to make all things new. We see the trajectory of history and the movement of God throughout all time. And we look now into Advent to see if we've seen how the earth prepared for Christ's return the first time, how we should be preparing for his his return the second time. And now we prepare our hearts as well, expecting him to enter into our lives and hearts now. This is what Advent is about. We We understand the expectation and preparation that led to the coming of Jesus the first time. We prepare to welcome Jesus into our hearts now, and we look forward and expect the return of Christ in the future. And so by doing that, we participate in the story. We don't just hear the story of those good things that Jesus did a long time ago, or those good things that Jesus is going to do later. We get to participate and take part in it as we experience the word proclaimed and read in the scripture, and we experience the feast of the Lord as well, where we participate in the story. This is, this is not just a story that we're inspired by. It's our story that we take part in. So, This Advent, as part of our expectation and preparation, um, we are going to spend time in Psalms, hearing from the lips of the musicians of Israel, exploring their themes of expectation and preparation as they were looking, this is before Christ came, as they were looking for the Messiah, the anointed one, to come. So what was it like for them when they were waiting for the Messiah to come the first time? Let's hear from them. And the purpose of this is is to see, to experience their waiting um, and experience their hope so that we can learn how to wait and we can learn how to have hope. So join me here. We're going to quickly look in Psalm 80 today. In upcoming weeks, you're going to be able to go in much more detail into some of these psalms. But Psalm 80 today. And the theme of this psalm is 
restoration. Restoration. If you read through Psalm 80 on your own again sometime, as Ashley read it for us earlier, you'll see this word repeated over and over again. In verse 3, restore us. In verse 7, restore us. It's literally, the literal translation is, is turn us. It's a, it's a visual image there. Turn us away from the direction that we're headed into a place of goodness. We're headed towards destruction. We're suffering. Turn us. Give us a different trajectory. In verse 14, they, the psalmist calls out to God to turn towards them. So he's saying, restore us, turn us towards you. And he's saying, restore us by you turning back towards us. In verse 19, you'll hear it again very overtly. Restore us. There's a call for restoration. And friends, we should know what this is like. Just as a microcosm of, uh, of history, we've, we've lived for almost a year under extreme uncertainty and fear. Many things that we have come to depend on have crumbled. Many of us are at home watching this on a screen when we would much rather be with our friends and family in person. Many missed being with relatives this week of Thanksgiving. Even more significantly than all of that, many of us have lost friends and family to a pandemic that continues to, to spread. There is anxiety throughout our culture. There are broken physical bodies. There are strained relationships. There's chaos in our workplaces. There's our children's education has been disrupted. Restore us is the call. There's brokenness in our country. There's division in political parties. There's division between racial groups. There's, there's a longing for restoration. As Israel longed for restoration in this psalm, so are we longing for restoration now. And so how do we wait? What, what, um, what should we expect when we're expecting? Look, let's look to see how Israel prepared. So first, Using this psalm as a bit of a template to learn how to wait and expect and prepare, let's look at, uh, at Psalm 80 here. First, here's what the psalmist does. He leads Israel. He's representing Israel in their call for, um, for restoration and in leading them and helping guide them in their, in their waiting and longing expectation and preparation. So the first thing they do is that they intentionally remembered the character of God. When I say intentionally remembered, I mean, they think about it. They don't just say, oh yeah, God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food. Like we don't just move beyond that. We, we sit in that. God is great. God is good. Um, that, that here's what the psalmist says. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. He calls him a shepherd. And the idea of a shepherd, there's authority and protection in a shepherd. And there's also love in a shepherd who cares for his sheep. O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. So he says he's enthroned. He says he's a shepherd, um, but he's also enthroned. He's a king. Um, he is, and that is, a, that is a position of great power, that he is sovereign. And so he, he starts the psalm by intentionally looking upon the character of God. Who is the God that we are calling out to and expecting to move? Well, he is, he is a loving shepherd. He is a powerful and sovereign king of mighty and great glory. This is who God is. This is who they're addressing in their hope. 
Secondly, here's what they do. They reflect on how, how this God, this shepherd and this king, has acted towards them in the past. Okay, let's, let's remember the story. Let's look backwards before we look forward. They recount the story of their people. This is what the shepherd and the king has done for us, his people, in the past. And they talk about Israel being a vine that God has planted and cultivated. Look at verse 7. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. This is a reference to the story of Exodus. You can read about it in the book of Exodus. That's why it's named that. And so it's the story of the people being, the God's people being brought out of where they were enslaved in Egypt. Um, And that he sent Moses to bring them out. And then he brought them out to the land that he had promised them. And there's a, there's a, in this, the um, book of Joshua, you can read about the conquest of, of the land, the land that was promised to them. There's already some bad people there that need to get pushed out. And so, so God leads them through that. And so here the psalmist is saying, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. They're looking intentionally backwards to say, how has this loving and sovereign God actively worked in our lives before now? Then, in setting this context, here's who God is, here's what God has done, then their gaze turns a little bit towards them. They take an honest inventory of their current situation. Verse 12, why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way may pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. So this is a, it's a poetic way of saying we're in deep trouble. In particular, the historic situation here is that the psalmist is writing a prayer from the southern kingdom of Israel. He's praying for the northern kingdom who has been taken into exile. A a conquering army has come in, grabbed them, and removed them. Things are not good in Israel. So, So, Again, just to highlight this, Israel's in deep trouble, um, just as it was before the Exodus and when they were entering into the promised land and they were faced with lots of armies and they needed restoration then and God restored them and now they need restoration again. So the psalmist here says, this is who God is. This is what he's done for us in the past. Here we are again, as we look at our current situation in a bad place and they recognize their need for a savior. Verse 17, let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. I know that's some confusing language and I don't have time to unpack all of it today, but you can hear the gist of it, of what he's saying is we need help. We, we need intervention. We need you to move in the midst of what's happening here because, because we can't fix this ourselves. And then when we look back and say, you're all powerful and you're good and you have restored in the past and now we're in a bad situation. And so we're calling out to you. We need a savior to intervene. And so that leads 
to the last part of, of this sort of template from this psalm is that when they recognize their need for a savior, they then ask God to act the same way now as he had in the past. Verse 14, turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. God, this is who you are. This is how you have caused, this is, this is how who you are has caused you to act in the past. And so now please do it again. We need you again. Please move again. Restore us. Israel is longing for this restoration and this healing. They're begging for it and they're waiting for it. So they're looking intentionally upon the character of God and remembering how God has acted in the past. And they're taking an honest assessment of their situation and they're recognizing their need for a savior and they're asking him to act according to his character and according to the same pattern of behavior that he has shown throughout history. That's what's happening here in the psalm. That's what this prayer is about. And this is a pattern that we should adopt as well as we step into expectation and preparation this Advent. To remember the character of God and how he has acted towards us in the past. This is why the story of scripture is so important. We can see the redemption of Israel. And we can see that the the, the redemption that the psalmist prayed for here, this was many, many hundreds of years ago. Well, did it happen? Yes. In the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was the answer to the longing of Israel. That in Psalm 1, I mean, sorry, in verse 1 of this psalm, the psalmist refers to God as the great shepherd. In verse 8, he calls Israel the vine. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says specifically, I am the good shepherd who loves his people, and I am the true vine that brings life. I want you to hear how profound this is. That the psalmist, on behalf of Israel, prayed corporate prayers for, for the people of God using the language of the shepherd and the vine. And then when God comes to be one of us in the person of Jesus Christ, he reflects this same language back to the people to tell them, I have heard your prayers and I am the good shepherd and I am the vine. What an intimate detail for God to remember. Not only did he remember that they called out for restoration, but he remembered the words that they used. So when they called for restoration, it was heard in the very halls of heaven. He heard their prayers in detail and responded by coming to save them. And now as we pray for restoration, we find our hope in Jesus as well. That God has restored and redeemed us, not from Egypt, And not through a conquering of of a promised land, but from Satan, sin, and death themselves. That's the exodus that we look back on to say, we are your people. How have you acted towards us in the past? You have saved us from death itself. You are a God who redeems. And we see throughout the story of scripture that the character of God is the God who restores. And now I'm hoping that you're tracking with me on the logic of this here. If the Israelites prayed and God heard them and restored them through Jesus Christ. Now, when we're praying for restoration, isn't it also true that God should hear us and can act as well? So they remembered the character of God and how he acted towards us in the past. And then they took an honest inventory of their current situation and so should we. 
We are broken in many ways. This has been a difficult year. Yes, um, uh, racial tension, pandemic, political division, economic insecurity, forest fires, hurricanes, toilet paper shortages. I mean, we've had it all over the course of this year. But you know what's really been revealed through a lot of this is that when we reflect on our thoughts and actions, we have not always been the most righteous and peaceful and strong. When we reflect on our current situation, we should see very clearly how much we need a savior. It took one year to defeat us. It's not over yet. We need a savior when we take honest inventory of our current situations of our lives, individually and corporately. And so just as Israel recognized their need for a savior, so do we. We are in need of intervention. We cannot fix all of this on our own. We need someone to call us out from our fear. We need someone to give us strength. We can't drum it up from inside. There's not a perfect, beautiful, unique snowflake light with inside of you that you need to just listen to your heart and call upon, and it comes out. That's the story of the culture, and it's untrue. You cannot drum up the strength that you need from within. You need a savior to intervene, to heal us from the sin that has been revealed in us these last few months, and to lead the church in victory over what is broken and crooked in the world. And so if we recognize our need for a savior, we should do also what the Israelites did. We should ask God to act the same way now. You are the same God. You have done these great things in the past. Save us, restore us individually and as a people. Do you believe that God can act this way again? I mean, this is really what it comes down to. This is where the rubber hits the road in our faith. We hear all these things. We say all these things. We teach all these things. We preach all these things. We sing about all these things, about restoration and who God is and what he's done in the past and what he can do. And now we're in a situation, as we have always been, where we cannot fix it ourselves. Do you believe that God can act in the same way that he has in the past again today? And if so, pray for the church, pray for revival, pray for our nations, for our communities, for our leaders. We are the people of God. We do not cower in fear for we have knowledge of the character and the history of God who acts to restore. If we recognize our need and we believe these truths about God, then let us cry out in prayer, restore us, save us, come Lord and make what is crooked straight. I'm concerned, honestly, friends, that we are blaming so much on the year 2020. Well, when the number turns over on December 31st to 2021, we don't start with a clean slate. Things won't be over. Things will still be difficult, and the change of the year will not change our situation. Don't put your faith in that. Don't put your faith in a dropping ball at midnight. We need the Lord to act. We need the Lord to intervene. Does this seem impossible? Well, this is the same prayer that the psalmist prayed as a representative of all of Israel. And we celebrate Christmas for a reason, because his prayers were answered. 
And so if we are calling out to this same God whose character is sovereign and loving and who has a history of redeeming and restoring, why can we not expect restoration now? He has already given us proof that this restoration will come in the description of the return of Christ to make all things new. And so now we live in expectation, calling out to the Lord, waiting for his promise to be fulfilled. And we live in preparation because biblical waiting is not passive waiting. Our hope is not that, oh my gosh, can we just make it through this and it'll someday be over? Our hope is not just that this will end, but that restoration will take place. We do not simply want to endure. We want to see flourishing. God is going to meet us in the midst of this, not after it is over. And so now we repent and we worship and we pray and we actively serve in his name until that great and glorious day when Jesus once again enters our world. So friends, may this Advent be a time of tangible hope and intentional waiting for you. Let us sit in our longing for the restoration of the world. Let us be active in preparing our hearts and our lives. And let us remember that as we do so, we are praying and calling out to the God whose character it is to restore. If he has done it before, he will do it again. So church... Let us wait well. Let us actively wait. Let us long deeply. And let us have a hope that is not shaken by our current circumstances, but is upheld by the character of our sovereign God, who is our shepherd and our king. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the scripture that reveals who you are and reveals how you act. And so we come before you now knowing that you are a God who is sovereign and that you are a God who is loving and that you are a God who is good and that you are a God who restores. And we are in need of restoration. We need a savior. We need you to restore our hearts. We need you to restore our minds. We need you to restore our bodies. We need you to restore our communities. We need you to restore this world that has fallen to become subject to evil and death. We need you to save. And you are the God who saves. So Lord, we sit in repentance and we raise up our arms in worship and we serve you as you straighten out what is crooked and we long for the day when the trumpet will sound and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has come to make all things new. Bless us this Advent, Lord. Let us wait and expect well in your name. Amen.